Good evening. This is going to be a talk on compassion, and you could just start at any time. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure this is made for a human ear. I think maybe something. Nothing. Should I clip it to my lip? <laughs> I've done it. I've, I've clipped it to my goatee before when I used to, when that was fashionable. <laughs> or many years after. Okay. If I stay still, I think it'll stay. Hmm. hmm. So they say that they, you know them, they say that the, all paths, this is terrible, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we have to first acknowledge that there's complete failure. <laughs> That's the beginning. That's the beginning of any moment. Uh, I'll do anything. It's a team effort, and now I feel completely secure. <laughs> a bit tethered to the... <laughs> so they say that all paths, even this one, have the same aim. Imagine all paths have the same aim and that's to save us from the calamity of a separate existence. Hmm. One teacher that I admire, he just wrote a book about radical kinship. How do we understand our place in the world, our connection to it? Fascinating. This idea of belonging to something as vast as life, as big as nature. Hmm. But sometimes it's hard to embrace our human condition. But if we start with empathy, right? That ability to connect. When we let somebody else matter. when we can acknowledge the commonality of our human condition. In that way, we diminish the subtle cruelty of indifference. That's Joseph Goldstein right there. Man. We diminish the subtle cruelty of indifference. But compassion is, um, it's got an extra piece on it. So compassion is a kind, friendly presence that allows us to stay in contact with our pain so that we can deepen into it rather than turn away from ourselves. It has the same connecting quality of, as empathy, but it has a desire to help, which is beautiful. And so if we really, truly allow our hearts to touch and connect to that which is difficult. There can be a, a, just a tender response of compassion, just naturally arising. Yeah, I see it in my two-year-old. Somebody starts crying at the preschool and he starts crying because he knows they're connected, right? Their nervous systems are permeable. We really impact each other, at least in the beginning. Mm. So the practice of compassion is allowing ourselves to get close to it. 
to tend to it and to show up as we bear witness to our humanity. And the next three pages will be what gets in the way, right? (laughs) The thousand ways we're like, you know what? It's not the right time. (laughs) You know, I'm not really sure if uh, I should open to the difficulties. And I understand. I understand. I'll just compare some notes with you about the ways that this mind constellates around difficulty. A thousand stories. So we've said it a couple, two, three times at least, that um, out of self-preservation, our biology pushes what's difficult or painful away. Great for survival. Essential, actually, for survival but maybe a liability when it comes to our happiness or our freedom. Yeah. And I'll be talking a little bit about freedom tonight. I used to understand freedom just through the lens of freedom from. I just wanted freedom from my feelings. I didn't want freedom to feel them. Right, that was kind of, uh, they were like a boogeyman to me. I thought for sure they would overwhelm me because I a tender of heart, sensitive type. <clears throat> there was a time that I thought any moment of suffering was somehow wrong. And I just had to figure out what was wrong with the situation? Who was I to blame? Was it my father? Was it the conditions? And so I wouldn't tend to the hurt. I would just launch into figuring out whose fault it was. As we used to say in my house, I would take out a big old blame thrower and just try to figure out who, whose turn it is to be wrong. There was a common belief, a very corrosive belief, that it shouldn't be like this, that somehow it should be different. And those are the seeds of suffering. I would just get lost in the story instead of tending to the actual wound, to the pain. I didn't, I wasn't taught how to honor it, how to actually be with it. I was so busy trying to get away from it. And I see it in my world. I I see many of us that have to armor up, you know, to survive whatever we have to survive. Makes sense to me. Sometimes that stuff just really, really saved us that ability to go internal and close off. (sighs) The problem is that when we close off to one aspect of ourselves, we're closing off to a whole dimension of ourselves. And then we're cut off from life in a certain way. So coming into the Dharma path, they assured me that I would get to be whole. I wouldn't just have to be good. I knew a little bit of the pain of being good. Yeah, I tried it. I tried to just wear white and pray all the time and eat vegetables. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) ill-advised for me and so this wholeness that the Dharma was inviting me into meant that I was going to have to look at some stuff that I get to 
I knew that if I couldn't feel it, I couldn't heal it. I knew that. I knew that if I looked inside, it would be there, right where I left it. So how do we include ourselves in this great heart of compassion? Many of us are good at in the world, you know? The world seems like it's really worthy of compassion. So many aspects of it. You know, something comes on the news or the radio and our heart just goes out to people because we're connected like that. And suffering is such a big word. It's easy to diminish our experience compared to what's going on in the world right now. Well, at least I don't, you know, fill in the blank. When I really sit with that feeling, that little interchange of like, well, that distance that I can put when I other, it just feels like I'm trying to bully myself into gratitude, you know? Like you don't get to feel this. So whatever we're working with, whether it's anxiety or loss or grief or whatever, our pain is our pain, our suffering is our suffering. It's not even ours, not right to say that, but whatever we're working with, again, we go back to the seeds of suffering. Some people don't feel like they've been through enough. You see how no matter what, it's like, I've been through too much. I ain't been through enough. These are all just strategies to not tend. Reasons we tell ourselves of why not me, not now. Pain can present itself in countless ways. Sometimes it's hard um, when I consider, I look back on a life of anxiety and some of the things that I've worked with, loss. I can't imagine, hard to imagine how I could care for them. whether it's the shame or the restlessness, or whatever the it is, sometimes it can have a lot of uh, historic significance. But we're not the same people, right? As we were whenever we tucked that away. We may have different resources now, better equipped, So the things I'm mentioning, the struggles, the grief, loss, depression, anxiety, you know, uh, the list goes on. In and of themselves, they're difficult to navigate. And I don't know if this is true across the board, but for many people I talk to, somehow they make it all their fault. You know, it's real easy to imagine that I'm what's wrong with this equation. It's like we hold it against ourselves that we are like we are. And I said it earlier that we come by it honestly. And what I mean by that is we didn't give birth to these energies, right? We didn't bring them into this realm. They're of this realm. And we each have our sacred measure of them to work with. So to take them personally is a real um, misunderstanding. And it just makes it harder to tend to 
They're universal. They're not I, me, or mine. The real heartbreaker is when I see people bring that same kind of strategy of withholding love from ourselves to practice to this realm, which I consider a refuge from that kind of extortion. You know, like I'm going to withhold love from myself, teach myself a lesson. It's like, man, the John Wayne Meditation Center clo closed up. There was just no progress being made. You know? <laughs> So we got to let go of some of these outdated conditioned strategies because they uh, don't preserve, they don't produce the fruit that we're interested in. When we do open up to compassion, we see that there's enough room for this life, this heart, the whole thing. So we all know the formula has been well documented. Experience times resistance equals suffering. We are bringing more to experience than experience is bringing to us. And that is good news because we have some influence over what we bring to this moment. That's what we're practicing. Hmm. We keep directing uh, a lot of your attention toward the body, toward the sensations in the body. There's a lot of wisdom in these bodies. There's not as much uh, deceit, self-deceit. Hmm. So we ask you to get intimate with the sensations themselves. You know, as Joanna was um, advising us, you know, is really really touching in. Is there a center? Are there edges? Is it moving? Is it changing? Right? So to get to know it, to get to know where this lives in my body. And this is born out of a curiosity. What is this constellation of feelings? You know, there might be an emotional component, there might be a physical component, there's most certainly a narrative happening. So we're looking for two things. Am I seeing clearly? And is there willingness? Do I have the willingness? Is that here? Because like I said, we have to be honest about our resources because not every moment is uh, the right one to cannonball into. So we have to check ourselves. Well, am I seeing clearly? Is there willingness? Hmm. And I'm sure it feels different for all of us, but when I'm caught in my pain or my suffering, it can just feel like I'm at war with a part of myself. And that's, that's a painful experience. Hmm. Traditionally, um, this is part of the four Brahma Viharas or the four immeasurable heart qualities, the four divine abodes. They have a lot of beautiful names. I like immeasurable. You know, it's like a bottomless cup. Uh, 
of compassion, loving kindness, equanimity, beautiful. Um, so usually when we practice it, we uh, radiate out. So we start where it's easiest. We throw ourselves in there. When, when we start cultivating the feeling, then we radiate out to neutral people and then um, even difficult people. And I, I like the sequence of radiating out like that. And I sometimes find myself in every one of those categories. Sometimes I'm easy and sometimes I'm the most difficult. So how do I just show up and say, all right, let's see who shows up this time. I don't know how it's going to be, but I'm going to set the intention to soften my gaze and hold whatever is in the heart. So we just get to show up and care about, you know, we rest in this simple truth. I'm here and I care. What now? Right? And we just kind of set that intention of planting those kind of seeds. So when I say that we're bringing more to experience than experiences bring to us, right? in practical terms, what I mean is we're, we're all sitting together and things arise of which we have hardly any influence over what arises. Content is just brewing up, empty phenomenon just passing through. We get to choose our response to it, and that's where the power is. So if I'm dealing with something that feels challenging, it doesn't have to be the only guest at the party, because I'm rolling with my posse, right? Like I got my own crew, so experience is arising, and it's just like, cool, I'm rolling with love and compassion. Who are you rolling with? You know what I mean? Like. We get to bring those wholesome qualities. And that's what leaves the flavor in our mouth, is what, how we responded. If we're frustrated by a thousand thoughts that are arising, that's what we're bringing to the moment, is frustration. That's how we feel afterward. That's the feeling we're left with, is how we responded. We could lose somebody we love and the response could be so beautiful and heart-tenderizing or completely otherwise, right? So we see that we have a lot of power to give shape to the world that we're living in. And because compassion is boundless, when we're actually in that field of touching what's difficult, allowing that compassion to arise, it's much more spacious. Difficulties have a way of trying to convince me that I have found the one permanent thing in the universe. That it's always going to feel like this and that you've always felt like this. And I'm not going anywhere. And so there, that's the kind of deceit that we wake up to. And it's just like, no, that is not true. And if I pay attention, I could see it changing right before my eyes. I talk about the practice as if it's this homecoming, because that's how it feels to me. That kind of resting place where we just get to be ourselves, be as we are. It's a place to meet myself where I've felt most unmet.
in that place for no place. So we finally allow ourselves to experience ourselves fully. And then we wrap ourselves in warmth and affection. And as my friend Brian shared with me, we kiss our wounds like we would anybody we care about. And that's part of what this practice is, is just holding ourselves with that kind of sweet regard because we've all been through difficulties. When I was a teenager, I lost my mom and that, that sent me into a whole world, but it's one of the worlds it sent me in was a to Zen hospice because uh, I wasn't able to grieve her at that time. So it took me about 15 years to catch up with my process. And so I was hanging out with other people's family members that may have found themselves at Zen hospice. And I remember finishing the training and I, I liked that the teacher was cool. He had sat with a lot of people bedside, you know, decades. So he had that kind of thousand yard stare, you know? He knew emptiness. And uh, we're getting ready and he said, look, are you, you ready? You know, you got this? And you know, I was probably, uh, Yeah, I was probably 32 years old. And I was like, yeah, dude. Hell yeah, I got it. Crazy. <laughs> and he looked at me and he was just like, he put his hand on my shoulder. He goes, hey, bro, maybe you've been strong long enough. challenge my whole identity, finally acknowledging what I was asked to hold as a little one. The whole facade crumbled as I sat there and tasted freedom. We wake up to different kinds of strength and courage. Some people call that post-traumatic growth. I like that, that we can learn, we can heal. There is hope even for us. Viktor Frankl said, Suffering ceases to be suffering the moment it finds meaning. I had found meaning in that moment. Mm. Mm. This is much more complicated than last week with the... Thank you. I'm fogging up my snorkel. I was looking for this poem for the last five minutes, but because of my glasses, I couldn't see it. <laughs> I have it now, but it's too late. So we turn our gaze inward and we set our course and sometimes everything but compassion comes up, 
right? Everything that's in the way arises. And we shouldn't take that as an invitation to judge ourselves, but really it's showing us where the love is needed most. That's what the barriers are showing us, where to bring the softness, where to bring the care. Every time I want to muscle up on my experience, you know, lean in a little bit, I try to soften and let it tenderize me. I picked up a really silly habit of getting tattooed. Every time the needle hits my flesh, I think this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. It's so stupid. But I got into it, and that was, you know, I'm a slow learner and a quick forgetter, so. (laughs) And part of, uh, I have pretty much my whole body done now, but there's some parts that you can't soften. Like when there's a needle going in your ribs, you know, you try to like not offer any resistance, but you're actually hurting me, right? So it's just like, you're trying to not offer any resistance. Don't give it anything to push against, yeah? So these barriers have helped us, this armor ring that I keep referring to. Tara Brock, who was one of my earliest teachers, she said, you know, what we wake up to is what's loved and what's longing to be loved. That's what we see when we look inside. And compassion and vulnerability and kindness, let's just say they weren't leading values in my neighborhood. I wasn't taught those I had them like any kid does, and then they were kind of taught out of me through uh, living around a lot of violence. I look back at the kid I was, always sensitive, but there wasn't a time that I didn't know what prison was even as a little child going back and forth to see my dad, to see my uncles, to see the family friends. And to visit that world as a child, I understood it more as a rite of passage that one day I would be a man like that. There wasn't any question about it. But I got lucky. I only did kid time. And by the time I was 20, uh, that whole saga of being a really wild kid, being out of control and being at war with the world and I had that that look that sometimes kids have where you're like, you're not long for this world. Yeah. Hmm. But in this moment, um, in 1987, I walked into an institution and they asked me to tell my story. And that was the first service I had ever come into contact with. The first wholesome moment, really, it felt like. At least notably. I can't tell you how profound it was 
for me to finally feel like I had value as a human being, that I could be a part of something beautiful. It changed my life. It wasn't a way that I was used to relating to myself. So again, challenged my identity. It was a bit of a relief. I was used to looking at myself, looking down at myself through the lens of the world, how I was, how I felt like I was being seen. Yeah. You know, I was one of those juvenile delinquents, problem kids, welfare kids. I was locked up about 20 miles from here. Yeah, I was a ward of the state. A lot of, a lot of us. I felt relieved that somebody was still willing to take care of me. And I'm not telling you this story because I want you to feel bad for me. I'm telling you this story because if I could do it, anybody could do it. I promise you that we don't have to run from our experience. That compassion is truly boundless if we're willing to touch it, to taste it, to feel it, to tend to the, the hurt. And we have to see where we're hooked. And we see it all the time. And how do we train ourselves to react with tenderness when we see it? With care. The very places we want to muscle up on. Stephen Levine, he said it so beautifully. He said, to heal is to touch with love that which was previously touched by fear. To heal is to touch with love that which was previously touched by fear. Mm. Again, how do we do that without being overwhelmed by it? We can usually bear the sensations, so if we stay in that domain, we have a chance at touching it. And, and we can also direct awareness as Joanna was saying, we can look outside of that domain. Maybe it's in the belly or the chest or the throat. And we can connect with our feet or our hands. We can resource by placing our attention somewhere else and then titrating our awareness if we're feeling overwhelmed. So there's a way to be with it. This quality of heart that knows I'm not separate from all of this. And we allow ourselves to be touched. We don't only open to our pain because it's not ours. We open to the pain and all the beings that share that condition with us. We're never alone in that. There are millions of people that are feeling the same thing we're feeling. When I can really let that in, that I'm not alone with it, then the most caring part of me can come forward. Sure, many of you are familiar with uh, Father Boyle. He uh, started Homeboy Industries, probably the biggest gang intervention uh, in the world. And uh, he just wrote a second book. That's the one I was mentioning about radical kinship. And he tells a story. 
He said, I used to tell homies that one of the reasons they continued to gangbang was they never, they were never around to hear a mother scream when they heard her son was dead. I became, I became something of a dreaded figure, I suppose. Not unlike the uniformed officer knocking on the door of the family of a soldier serving in Iraq. The mother pulls back the drape, looks out the window, and knows. Knows what news he's bringing. More times than I even want to recall. I knocked on the door any time, day, middle of the night. When the mother sees me, I always blurt it out. They killed him. It seems kinder in the end, not to cloud the moment with undue prelude. And the screaming is devastatingly painful to behold. More than anything I know, with Latinas, the screaming becomes yelps, primordial indigenous wound. The mothers rocking back and forth with continuous wailing can be upsetting enough to alter behavior. I remember once and only once seeing auto homies gathered together plotting revenge. Immediately after shooting up their homie Victor, they were all posted up in front of his house in the projects and his mother was sitting on the front steps worried about Victor's condition. Then I arrive. I lean over and whisper to her, having just returned from the hospital. I told them that Victor is dead. And this time, the homies are here that are there to hear the wailing, the syncopated yelps, and the screams that curdle your insides. They didn't do anything that night. They went home instead. The price of it all delivered to them courtesy of a grieving mother's vocal cords. And after spending the entire afternoon with Raul's family and mom, I wanted to go back to the office before closing time. I knew that there were some homies that needed to see me and I them. With 10 minutes left on the day's clock, my workers filed into my tiny office, one by one to hug, to cry some, to take my emotional temperature. Each one attentive, tender, and consumed by the self-forgetfulness that only saints are really able to pull off. There, I am, then I am there alone with the ache that doesn't leave you in the echoey silence of the vacated headquarters. Even the ghosts of the place seem to have stepped out. When Freddie, one of my co-workers, appears standing in my doorway. He asks how I'm doing, and I sigh, beckoning him to sit. I know your heart is breaking. He says, beginning to cry. I wish I had a magic wand to pass it over you. As an adult, I can't recall ever crying with another person more fully than in that moment. We both just lose ourselves in sobbing. Usually I pull myself, I put myself, as the homies say, on check status. But even I couldn't pull this off at the moment. I've been holding this enormous, outsized grief in check for so long and had sudden permission to release it in the gentle urging and vast heart of Freddy. At 23 years old, he had worked at Homeboy for some years now in a wide variety of sites and tasks. But his singularly spectacular temper required frequent changes of venue. First, the silkscreen shop, then the bulky item drop-off center, and now here at the headquarters. He surely at that moment knew how to use his deep rage in a sensual wound 
to hold all that I was carrying. You know, all of us here are drowning. Freddy begins with difficulty. The tears a tide that he's swimming against. And you, you just reach in and sweep us up. We resume our wailing, holding our heads, rocking some, unable to speak. And then Freddy with his teeth, teeth clenched and something nearly resembling his frequent outbursts of anger, points his finger at me with a holy determination. I swear to you. If someone offered me a choice right now, a million dollars or a chance to swoop you up, Freddy stops and swallows hard against the overflow of tears. I would swoop you up. And through my tears, I'm barely able to eke out. You just did. You just did. We realize how deeply we're connected and how we do belong to the world. I remember coming upon the ocean of tears in my own practice and asking my teacher about it because it didn't seem connected to anything in particular. And he was like, oh yeah, that's just an ocean of tears. <laughs> you know, no big deal. <laughs> Nothing to be scared of. It's just an ocean of sadness. <laughs> about this alchemy of presence, how something so tender as the heart can be so strong, so resilient. We're talking about living a full contact life, which is a, a beautiful expression of freedom. Robert Anton Wilson, he said, you're precisely as big as what you love and precisely as small as whatever you allow to annoy you. That's an annoying quote. Because <laughs> it, it tells it so straight. He didn't soften it at all. But sometimes that's how I need it. I need it straight. So we accept what is here. With as much kindness and gentleness as we can muster up this big heart work we're doing. That is what we're doing here. And we can trust the sincerity of our intentions and the goodness of the practice because we're practicing wholesome things. May we continue to plant these seeds of kindness and compassion. And we do this inner work. As we do it, our life can become an offering to this wild world. and to all those that we dare care about, all those that we include in our hearts. Because ultimately, compassion is a verb, right? So maybe you can find some value in these words and be of service in whatever way makes sense for you. 
my question is always the same. Where's my heart needed most? And living with an undefended heart, that's a profound expression of freedom. And the promise of the sure heart's release. Maybe we sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.